Welcome everybody to the next episode of Boxes and Lines, and I'm excited for this one in particular because I'm here with three special guests, um, formerly the boys of the Big Short, Denny Moses, Porter Collins, and Vinny Daniels. What's up, guys? How we doing? How's it going? Obviously, everybody's heard of these guys in the book, The Big Short, but we've known these guys from back in our RBC days, and uh, we used to go in there and meet with them at RBC, and there was one time we were in there and um, Danny ran out of the room, and can you tell your story, Danny? Yeah. Well, I mean, so I met you guys in 2009, I want to yeah. say late 2009 at RBC, and you were explaining to us how we're getting ripped off until I had met you guys. I really didn't understand, and I would convey that to Porter and Vinny and Steve Eisman, who's not here with us, but certainly was an integral part of that team. And um, and so I started to realize where I would route my orders that I should really care, and then I, you, made me guys, you guys made me aware of kind of the trading situation, and then... In the flash crash on May 6, 2010, I, it was 2.30 in the afternoon, and I remember it had ended at like 3.30 or whatever. And then at the close, I basically called Michael Lewis because the big short book had just come out. I said, I have your next book. And he said to me, that's great, but no one tells me what, what to write. <laughs> and I said, I'm telling you, these guys understand what just happened in this flash crash. So anyway, Michael Lewis came back to us, and we had dinner, but he came back because the Russian coder uh, who Goldman Sachs had arrested he realized that there was something more to that, and that was kind of the pivotal moment for him to get involved with you guys. Yeah, that was that was like several years later. I think it was like January 2013. You invited Brad and I and said, you guys want to have dinner with Michael Lewis? And, of course, we, we never even met him to that point, and we were pretty excited to do so. I actually remember the first time I met with Vinny was in the meeting at Front Point. I think this is conveyed in the book, but at one point in the meeting, he said, so you guys are not trying to fuck me. Right? Yes. Is that standard? That's a standard. Yeah. And in almost everything I do in my life, I just assume that someone's trying to screw me over, particularly when it comes to financials. But when you actually hear someone who sounds pretty damn honest and is actually not trying to screw you over, just trying to earn the normal fee, you... you and once you get Porter going on something like that, he's all in. Yeah. Right? I mean, so once you realize what was happening. I mean, the, the, big, the big thing for us is we, we covered financial institutions. And that's why, you know, we kind of picked it up right away because it, it was, integral, double whammy, it was right? integral into the plumbing and of how we thought about it, how we thought about the exchanges, how we thought about the brokers. And so we really needed to know this stuff. And so we kind of got supercharged and every, in the subject. Every time I would have a call with a client, I remember <laughs> the one time, I'm not going to name the broker in here and then, or the person, but I called you guys up one time and I'm That's like, I have a question. I go, there's a broker on the phone who's willing to do trades for free. Is that good for me? And you go, run. Run and hide. <laughs> and that turned out to be this was one of the largest dark pools that was out there. I, I couldn't understand how I can trade for free. There's nothing free. And so you realize you're paying for it one way or another, right? Like zero commission, but your execution's terrible. So Absolutely. Um, we get asked questions a lot, uh, so I'm going to ask you the same questions, but... What was it like to be involved, like in a Michael Lewis, and especially for you guys? Obviously, you had a, a big movie. Uh, what was the was the movie? Was the book accurate? How do you feel? I mean, the thing I always say is it was kind of a weird time to be uh, in that book and in that moment because you forget that you're in the depths of the financial crisis. Even yeah. in 2010, when the book came out, it's like, oh, should I be happy that I just we just made a bunch of money when everyone else is doing so poorly? So it's a little it was a little bit weird. In that sense, but... Um, it was also really weird. If you think about when the book was occurring, 06, 07, um, you're not the funnest guy yeah. at cocktail parties. I mean, it, people want to talk about money and houses and all that, and you're Johnny Grim Reaper sitting it's there. It's all going to go to shit. And, and you're yeah. like, I wouldn't buy a house. That's <laughs> down 30%. That's <laughs> down 40%. <laughs> and, and so you literally, you try yeah. to 
position the conversation to more positive stuff like sports. You just don't want to talk about it. And then going through the book, it, it was a completely different dynamic. Yeah, it, it, I don't know if it was in the book or in the movie or I'm making this up in my mind. Probably, but it may, yeah. it probably both made up. But I remember at the end of one of the, either one, there was this setting where you guys were sitting on the steps outside of St. Patrick's Cathedral or oh, something. Yeah. And it, it, wasn't a, it wasn't like a celebration, exactly what Porter's saying. You guys, your conviction had been right. But what does what does right give you when everything else went to shit? That well, was Danny could tell that part. that day yeah. was the day where they banned short selling of financial stocks. Oh, okay. And it happened in Europe in the morning, and then we knew it was coming in the afternoon, right? But we really thought—I mean, we thought the system was gone. I mean, that's why we were so de- depressed. We thought that they were going to shut the banks, shut everything. I mean, we were days away. I mean. I'm a big QE hater, but you know the the Fed did save the day there. They just pumped in trillions of dollars of liquidity and saved the day. But I will so. say, on the steps, which was filmed at St. Bart's Church, so although was, it did happen at St. Patrick's okay. Cathedral, and Steve was at a Goldman conference, yeah. and he was walking towards us. The three of us, uh, Vinnie Porter and I, were so there. So that really happened? It yeah. really oh, happened, cool. but what yeah. really didn't happen was me looking for Nobu or a restaurant, because I'd never, no. <laughs> somehow, he wasn't a ra- the ra- Adam McKay decided to give me an extra testicle in the movie at the opening <laughs> I, scene. I, I, and I was make going me, to ask that question, that I didn't. And oh, no. make me a foodie. <laughs> oh, I mean, Vinnie and I were both of how you going to fuck me guys, right? But, yeah. you know, but Vinnie got a lot of the how you going to fuck me lines, and I got where's Nobu. When we were trading that day, and Danny was trading... The reason why we went to St. Patrick's Cathedral is because at the time, we thought Danny had a heart attack. Uh, It happened to turn out to be a panic attack. We were short practically everything under the sun. And Danny, whatever reason, Danny's body or mind felt something big coming, and he just couldn't breathe anymore. So we had to leave the office and get out so we went to St. Patrick's Cathedral. although when they tear my body apart they'll probably find it there was a slight heart attack that occurred <laughs> that day but it was it was a panic attack for sure they Porter literally church, picked me though. up I looked at Porter I'm like I think I'm having a heart attack he goes no you're not I go oh yeah I think I'm the, the, be, the best decision we made though was we didn't cover share across no. anything because yeah. we knew if you if you covered it you couldn't get it back and right. so we decided we just sat there. Meredith. Yep. and that was a tough month holy shit a tough month yeah, yeah. but uh yeah, right. Living through it as it was real time. And we didn't even realize, we met, we first met Michael Lewis, it was going to be just a magazine article. Yeah. Which it was. Yep. And then he came back and he goes, it's a book. And then they came back and said, it's going to be a movie. By the time the movie rolled around, we were already at our next fund. And the genesis cool. of the book, if we remember, how it got to Michael Lewis is Michael Lewis cold called Meredith Whitney and asked her what the hell is going on. And Meredith goes, I could do a justice, but you really need to talk to guys that I work with. Oh, and that's, that's how it really started. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I mean, we had, a, we had a similar story, actually, after the dinner with you guys. Uh, Lewis came to our office the next day, and then he, he asked to come back and go see the data centers in New Jersey a month or so later. And he was, at the time, oh, yeah. as you probably remember, he was writing for Vanity Fair on uh, Serge Alenikoff. And Brad and I and IEX, we had just uh, finished our first round of funding. We were just hoping to get a mention in the article in Vanity Fair and kind of disappeared and came back and kept saying, you know, I think I'm going to write someone on U.S. equity market structure. So we, we had no idea, honest to God. The one common theme about all of this, but, you know, the Flash Boys and Michael Lewis and, and sure. Arbuck and Steve was, you know, Steve always taught us to be, um, you know, critical thinkers and, and cynical about everything. You know, his, I remember one of the first lines he told me was that, all management teams lie. No, no management team goes, oh, <laughs> our earnings really suck. You know, we're going to have to guide down. No yeah. one says that. Yeah. 
And so, by the way, that includes the electronic trading teams of all the broker dealers. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. Yeah, can't help yourself. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that that's the common theme is that you know we're we're truth seekers, right? And we we want to find the what, what's right. Right? Being a short seller is a, being a truth seeker. We're not you know trying to bring down company. We're trying to find the right price, and so we're trying to find the right execution venue where it's fair, transparent. And you know that's one of the things that we love about you guys, right? It's it was it's it's. Whether it's your Irish frankness or whatever, you're just right out there, and it's 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 fair, and true. Yeah, but you know. trying to convince a portfolio manager just to take it to the next step, yep. that they can save money uh, and not expose themselves in their trades by trading on IEX. We really believe that. I mean, that that wasn't something that we did, was party line. We we're trying to make a statement. It was actually true. Yeah. And so to this day, convincing a portfolio manager, if you could tell that portfolio manager, hey, your returns were twelve point six seven percent this year. Guess what? They would have been thirteen point one four. I'm making these numbers up. He looks at those, you know, forty some basis points and thirty some basis points, and says, "Wow, that would be another couple hundred grand in my pocket and for my investors, whatever it would be." That's when it hits home, cumulatively. But people have to understand the market structure, and continues to be a frustration. I'm not even managing money institutionally any longer, but I know what's going on out there, so it's still very frustrating. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's an interesting question because you know we have the trader, we have the PMs in the room here, and. Um, we often, you know, hear from people on the street. Well, you're only a three percent venue, UIX or three percent. How can I rest my trades there? And then it comes down to the dynamic between you guys and how you interact with each other. You know, is it okay for a trader to take the order and have some patience and leave it in one venue? It's almost a stupid question. Yeah, of yeah, course, of course. Yeah, you could. Yeah. But it also depends upon the personality of the portfolio manager or an analyst. Yeah. What are you getting at? in terms of when you're investing in a company, what type of return profile are you looking for? If you're looking for a 20, you should care anyway. That's the, the, regardless of whether you're trying to like skim nickels or, or you're trying to go for 20 to 30 or 40% on the return. I can tell you from an analyst perspective, I like to think about stocks more of what stocks can I put in that, are, that has a chance to go up or down depending on long or short 30 or 40%. So I worry less about the trading, but because of you guys and frankly, because of Danny and all that, I've learned that, well, why wouldn't you care about an extra 20, 30, 40 basis points Absolutely. in terms of your order? Uh, so to me, that has sort of opened my eyes as an analyst to say, I should care about the, the incremental. But I understand that, I mean, the, the frustration's real with, with between the street and, and, and the buy size because commissions have come down so much where you should pay five cents, it would be easy to pay the street. Well, now, you know, you, you're paying 30 mils, 50 mils, and it's harder to pay the street. Right, so I understand that frustration, but you know the execution, you know, really matters because it's all free essentially at this point. Well, you're paying for it one way or another, but uh, people don't realize, but realize I, that. You know, yeah. I will say that in Porter, Vinny, and Steve were overly generous in how they treated me as a trader. I mean, I was more than a trader to them, but I was a trader. If the trader is incented for the portfolio performance, they will act differently. Yes, um, and they will seek out different things. Listen, 90% of traders out there are in a position where they're robots, for better or for worse. And where we've gone now is most traders are seen as order entry people. And there's no two-way. It's, it's one way. And so the portfolio manager says to the trader, buy me 200,000 shares of XYZ, just get it done. And the trader is not getting paid to challenge the portfolio manager and to question the execution. I think that you look at most successful hedge funds that are still around, the trader is a partner in the fund. The trader understands the process, and those are the ones that will remain. And I think over the long term, one other thing that's lost in all of this is the, of learning the personality of a stock 
when you're not trading electronically or just in an algo, you can learn a lot about it. Fun, fundamentals are number one. That's all that matters in the long run. To Vinny's point, 30 40%, it will get there. At least, yeah. But if you can find the, the seller that wants to trade a block, you can find the buyer that wants to buy a block. So those type things don't exist anymore. But the market's so chopped up. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I like is, that, you know, we've been big fans of the guys at Themis for a long time. And, you know, you, you, you look at what they do, right? And, and their only goal is execution, right? They're an ex- executing broker. And protect their investment. And protect, protect their clients. Their clients. Yeah. And their market share um, of the volume they trade is something like more than a third is over IEX. Yep. Sal right? and Joe and team have been phenomenal. Their only goal is low, is low cost, best execution. And they're 35% IEX. Where the IEX current market share is 3%. Or that, that shows you the gap if people have no idea what is going on. That's the best thing I can think of, right? And so, um, and, you know, they have no vested interest in trading here. They don't care. They, they're stopped for their clients. Yeah, no, no, it's a, it's a great example. I mean, when we talked to a lot of the buy side, there, there was a recent study by Greenwich Associates that just came out, and I, I believe it was 80% of head traders said that they have full discretion on the order. But a lot of times when you talk to buy side traders, they'll tell you, I can't rest an order just on IEX or on, or on another venue. It doesn't have to be IEX because if it starts trading, prints hit the tape and I'm not participating, you know, the PM might get, you know, angry or say, you know, get fucking something done. Yeah. Four letter <laughs> word of FOMO. Yeah. Like, and, and yeah. if you get a PM who feels like they're missing out yeah. on a move, right? They go, they go berserk. What what's yeah. a trader going to do? Get fired or execute the order? No, I you know? agree. I think traders um, there there's a bit of a negative perception in that people because you, you, you said it earlier something like there there is a conception that they're an order clerk that they're just putting it in this algo. Um, I think traders now have to become more detectives than they ever had to because there's so many venues that they're interacting with. Look at the portfolio managers that yeah. invested in IEX. I won't name them here. We can't yeah. disclose it. P- people may know that are listening to this. You know, again, picking stocks can go against you, but from a trading perspective, they're, the they're much more efficient. They're, yeah, much, they're, they're thinking they're about, about it the right way. It, yeah. So, and those are some of the biggest legends out there. So, what are you guys up to now? <laughs> Is that a loaded question? Not at no, all. It's yeah. a loaded question. Both uh, Porter and I are uh, doing our family office um, and pretty much doing what we've done before in the past, probably a little bit more concentrated in terms of the investments we're making. And uh, enjoying, really enjoying not being part of an institutional framework right now. Yeah, we're, we're on gardening leave for another six months and we'll hopefully open up to potential investors in VIT. But there's a lot of stuff out there. We're, I mean, Michael Burry got, got tarred and feathered for his uh, negative ETF article. But yeah. I think it was kind of construed wrong. It, basically, what he said is that in, if you, go, if you go, go down in small cap land, there's a lot of uh, dispersion and a lot of stuff that's just been left alone because they're not in an index. And yeah. so we see the same stuff. There's just tons of value out there. And overpriced growth. Yeah. Yes. And, and so, like, we'll look at the, mar- the market's been a weird year this year that the S&P earnings are down, market's up 20%, right? So, but there's a lot of there's a lot of stocks out there that's been left for dead. You know, one of our favorite trades is uh, the Fannie Mae preferred securities, right? They're not going to do anything until stuff happens, but... We think they're doubles and triples, right? And and you know the, the, we've been in you know, some shipping stocks this year. Who cares about shipping? But they're, they're, but they're we think they're one and two times earnings. There's a lot of stuff out there that's really kind of interesting that no By one cares way, about. I beg these guys 
years ago to just take time <laughs> off and just be with your family and and get away from the screens, right? Because you your did. mind. No, but I'm saying, but being able to apply these guys' intelligence, which is superior to other things, or just to take a deep breath, I think will prove to be fruitful. And I would invest with them if they reestablish themselves. But when we shut down Seawolf Capital in early 2017, we knew from everything that had gone on within the plumbing that it was not a market that was going to trade on fundamentals. And we are bottom-up fundamental guys. Because we're smart enough to just return capital and know we can't make money in the, the market like that. And to be frank, I'd gotten murdered if I was <laughs> ma managing money in the market like this because you, you, it's not been a fundamental tape for years. What's weird about we're it notoriously is... notoriously cynical guys. Danny's a notoriously... Yes. Notoriously... But I'm honest. And what, what's crazy <laughs> about it is... Here, here, talk about FOMO. If you're short a stock, right? We love finding shorts because you feel like you've uncovered some secret. Yep. So that's something. The fear of missing out on a short in this market, what happens is it all evaporates on one day. So if you want to do the work and you feel like you have an edge and, and the news comes out that you think was going to come or people finally recognize fundamentally what's happening, if you're not there... If you're not there, you, you can't forgive yourself because the intellectual equity that you've, you've put into this thing. So it's, and I think the ETF business has created a very murky environment and has glossed over a lot of the fundamental issues that are out there. I do think, and, though, that the, the environment, like, the, listen, the long short model is just death and destruction these days. Look at just a number of. It numbers. will come back. I, I, I almost. I was thinking, I don't see a better time to do it than right now, right? Once because you get there, more, are, yeah. there are you know good targeted shorts, not going you know crazy bearish, and there's a lot of good value out there too. So I think it's a good time to, you know, well, once you get over some of the egregious fee structures that sometimes hedge funds and others yeah. can charge, and it becomes a more palatable environment, active management will have its day might take a while. doesn't mean ETFs are going away. They're not. Um, it is a low-cost alternative fund structure. However, if and when the Fed is no longer the most important thing associated with the market... We might be dead by then. By it way. might be. It might be. <laughs> Bottom-up analysis will matter. But it, it could be two months from now. It could be two years from now. And the fee structure continues to... Dissipate. I mean, it just continues to get worse for funds, too. You guys obviously know it better than me and hit the nail on the head, but that's all you hear. Like, it's the one-liner in the bar. Everything's going passive now. No more active. Active's dead. Uh, you guys obviously think that will change. It's going to take yeah. a massive market correction. But, but it's not yeah. like the market corrects and therefore active's going to be great because active's going to go down as well because they've been forced to play this game of trying to keep up with the market. Oh, I see. So when the market goes down, they're going to get hit. But at yeah. some point, I mean, equities, equities aren't and sports franchises are the only asset classes where price doesn't seem to matter, right? <laughs> no. you, you buy anything else in the world, like if you go out and buy a home or an apartment, it's not like an apartment's worth 1.3 million. Like, you know what? Wake me up when it's 1.6 because I want it to trend higher so I could get a higher price. Right. <laughs> it's, it's one of the only asset classes yeah. where people are willing to pay more because some stupid freaking chart tells them to pay more, right? some point that will change or at least that part of the cycle of the, of the market will be different. So what's happening in IEX, Ronan, that yeah, I would care go. about that you can disclose in this uh, thing? All, all kinds of stuff. We recently rolled out using our machine learning predictive analysis, our order type DPEG that a lot of people know us for. Uh, we created a new order type called CPEG and it's to help uh, brokers with corporate buybacks. So now when we go and we talk to the issuer community, we're now going talking to the corporates and talk about, look, when you do a buyback, uh, these 10B18 rules, you know, put you in a position where you're being fleeced 
we have a way to help you. I mean, do people understand that are listening to this that on buybacks, how gamed they are? Oh. That there are funds, there are HFT funds set up to just game buybacks. Not they know just the HFT fund. It's a very gameable algo because of the rules. The time, you know when they're coming in. Exactly. And it's public when a company announces a buyback. So I, I, I think the Wall Street, the community, understands this, but um, the, the corporate companies, board, they, they have no idea. Well, the corporate yeah. boards, it's their fiduciary yeah. responsibility. Yes. All right, fellas, as we near the end of this podcast, I'd love your hot take on what you think the systemic changes are that are coming in the market over the next couple of years. Well, I, I think that, I mean, if you look at the any big change, it ha- always happens around something cataclysmic. All the regulation happened post 07, 08, all the regulation came post or should have come post the flash crash in terms of trying to figure out what's going on. So I think it's going to take a, a big crisis to, to have big change happen again. I'm so upset that, that, that they didn't use the last crisis to, to fix what the problem was. You know, we unfortunately have solved a big debt problem with more debt. Yep. And so, you know, and that, that's why everyone's been, the active manager's been so cautious, right? They, they, they see what's going on, but the computers don't care. And so, you know, my biggest fear is that, you know, one day that, you know, that they'll, you know, some big thing will happen, the algos will freak out, they'll all sell, and we'll all be wondering what, what's going on. And So was, was there was something amazing. called SIFI, which now, in the last three years, no one knows what that was. It was a systemically important financial institution. So the SIFIs have shifted. The banks are no longer unsafe, right? The banks are very well capitalized. Yes, as we see here, a broker lost money on the Turkish lira, and no one's going to care because it, was, it happens a lot. Whatever the systemic um, risk. No offense to those brokers out there. No, listening, but. but 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 the systemic risk is now in different hands. It's in the high frequency trading community. It's in the levered algorithmic community. It's in various places, but no one's going to know that it's there until it happens. Correct. To Porter's point. So when that happens, if that happens, God forbid, and when it happens, which it will, it's a win. It's a win. When it happens, then you're going to have an overcompensation, an overregulation, the same way we probably got before. And listen, I think. Tarp and Tauf and Dodd Frank and Volcker did some very good things. It went too far to a degree. Yep. They're backtracked. Now we backtracked probably too far. No one is watching. The the Fox is literally watching the hen house right now in terms of market structure. So I think it will happen, unfortunately, but that's my two cents. But I mean, Vinny. Vinny's whole thing, uh, I'll talk about what Vinny goes, used to go crazy on is that, you know, in a capitalist system, you have to have penalties. Unless you're a Jet fan, then there's, <laughs> then there's tons of penalties. But the if you think about what they did after the Great Recession, they they decided to turn the equity market into a public utility, which means to me they can't let it go down. They, and and now we have a president who's we call the mark to market president. Nothing against him, but if the S and P goes down 30, 40 basis points, you're going to hear a tweet. They and Fed the minute the market goes down three, four, five percent. The Fed comes in and helps save it. What concerns me is that each excessive bull, bull market leverage is lurking somewhere, right? We, we know that, and, and generally, it's our job. Or at least I feel like it's our job to figure out where that leverage is. The scariest thing is the leverage is right now, allegedly in the safest hands, right? And you said it's in it's in these algos and these levered things. It's also in the governments itself. Like we just keep issuing debt as far as the eye can see. Yeah. My big concern is what if all of a sudden, and no one seems to think it will, that deficits matter? And if deficits matter, we got a fucking problem. There's one answer, yeah. right, right, Porter? 
What do we want to be long more than anything? Gold. Gold. And, and really, at this yeah. point in time, <laughs> after a 10-year bull market, you want to avoid where the leverage is uh, at all costs. Even as, as enticing and as alluring as the returns look, I would avoid the leverage and wh where it's hiding. Because it's, it's not, I mean, to be fair, it's not in the... Well, we last saw the big short. It's not in Bankland. You know, the, the well, it's not on consumer balance sheets. It's on corporate balance sheets. And, and it's also on sovereign balance sheets. So that, to me, is the big fear of what's ha going to happen next over the next three, four, five years. That's going to be an issue. Yeah. Levered loans, all CL all CLOs. Yeah. I mean, this is it's going to be it's going to be toxic. And when it, you know they they found a way again to chop up, you know, loans into a million pieces and sell them to everybody else. And that's by the way, I have. Let's see, three words, three words, five words. Uh, fixed income ETF. That is that is an oxymoron. That should <laughs> never exist. That that is that is a structural issue in the market that has reared its head several times microscopically, like we've had fits yeah. and starts with. And Vinny, to your point, what, what we've seen, the market cannot handle higher rates. So that I we know. know. In yeah. the ETF market, the who thought it would be fixed income ETF? Bank loan ETFs. That does not work. That is structurally impossible to configure unless you're in a quantitative easing, you know, global uh, global bank printing mode, which it is. Yeah, you, you, the world cannot handle higher rates. Yeah. No. That's obvious. If, yeah, one takeaway aside from market structure and all that, if higher rates ever were to rear its ugly head, just get the hell out of the market. Cannot deal with it. Jeez. And trade through IEX when you do it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to open the door before we sweat yeah, on each other. All right. Thank you, buddy. I haven't shown you guys the IEX boxes and lines socks. So usually we hand out a pair of socks on this podcast. They're right. really nice. I wore them on the plane uh, on vacation a couple of weeks ago. All right, I think we'll wrap it up there. I really appreciate you guys coming in. You've been a friend of the firm, a friend of ours. Uh, you've done a lot for IEX over the years, and it's great to have you on our sweaty little pod. So Cheers. and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational and educational purposes only. And IEX Group, Inc. and its affiliates do not make any representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this podcast. Nothing in this podcast constitutes a solicitation or offer to buy or sell any securities or provide any investment advice or service. Some portions of the preceding conversations may have been edited for length or clarity. Copyright IEX Group, Inc. All rights reserved.